Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. This will be Moroni Part 3, because in Season 3, we only do two and three-parters. That's all we ever do, as I, I, I think, said last episode. Wow, that it seems like that might not be completely honest. Check the tape. I'm pretty okay. confident I say that every time. For season okay. three, we are excited actually to to get into um, this kind of fun. Uh, the way that Garrett teased the last episode, um, talking about what are the things that Moroni is teaching uh, Joseph Smith to prepare him to be a prophet, and taking kind of a different approach there that, that I think was interesting. But before we jump into that, and I go sh- forty five straight minutes without talking, we're going to read. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna read a couple of emails from the Phoebe Draper mailbag. But actually, Garrett, before we do that, um, as is the birthday tradition of me purchasing for you uh, books that you either hate or anti Mormon books that you so, also hate. Yeah, that makes it sound like I like anti Mormon books. I, like, I got him. Any- I got him Secret Garden, and he hated that. I got him Mormonism Unveiled. Couldn't put it down. Well, so uh, the majority of the books that I purchased, have purchased for Garrett in the past have been books that have been, you know, they're written in the last little bit. And he has just told me how much he hates those particular books. But in this particular case, uh, I, I tried to find something that I thought that he would, that he might enjoy relatively. And so um, I, my eyes were opened to the cost of uh, historical Mormon books I had no idea that people paid so much for those. And so the ideas I had of purchasing something really special for him were immediately dashed as I. At least until the premium content comes through. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I love Garrett, but I don't love him 30 grand um, worth. Were were you just trying to buy one line of a Book of Mormon? Is that what you're trying to buy? 30 grand? I was was actually looking for Mormonism Unveiled. uh, Oh, boy. First edition. Yeah. It's a little spendy. Um, but so I did settle on something. Garrett has a, a responsibility for the for the church right now, where he is working on some some of the legal uh, documents of the Prophet Joseph Smith, and uh, as they're working on the on the biography for the Prophet Joseph, which will be really really fantastic. And so I I thought to myself, you know, what would be something that would be in that vein that would be a, a lovely gift, relatively, and so. I found something uh, by Henry Reed. Uh, the title uh, is Bigamy and Polygamy, a review of the opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States rendered at the October term 1878 in the case of George Reynolds plaintiff uh, in error and the United States defendant in error. So, well, you know, with a scintillating title like that. <laughs> I was, I, mean, I was. I mean, it was the last one. Like those things are flying off the bookshelves. Those, those eighteen seventy eight books. You can't keep them around. No, no. They well, especially when they're titled bigamy and polygamy. I mean, one hundred percent. We had an entire premium content that uh, teased polygamy and Martin Luther, only for people to find out that Martin Luther didn't practice polygamy. No, you just said the word polygamy in the episode, so we counted it. Right. Well, I mean, we talked about Anabaptists. Yeah, it's true. That, that that'll get it, that'll get you to polygamy. <laughs> not today, not today, but then back in the day. Yeah. So Garrett, this is actually uh, it's not something that you've read, you know, from the book, but read online, and uh, this is something you were you were familiar with. As I should not be surprised that you were familiar with. But yeah, but I, I mean, this is pretty awesome. This is an awesome gift. Uh, if you're wondering, sending me uh, uh, books with very long titles from the 19th century <laughs> is the way to win my heart. This is true, and it's 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 ten years of buying you crap to build up to essentially where this book is. You see, the problem is now I feel like I'm going to have to buy you something better than, you know, 
good teams win, great teams cover. I'm going to have to buy you something that is. Now, look, if the rules are If you apply the principles of that book, I mean, then you'll be able to buy me an, an original edition of Mormonism Unveiled, I think. 100%. I So this uh, we're recording this episode um, the week before BYU plays at West Virginia. Uh, I'll be flying out to Pittsburgh tomorrow to go out to uh, to that game. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's many uh, a casino in the area. Now, I don't gamble and never would I never would I ever gamble. But boy, after reading through some of these some of these uh, tips and picks, uh, boy, it'd be tempting. It's going to yeah, be tempting. I can, I can see you going all in on, you know, <laughs> Marshall's going to cover and just, you know, while you're there, you're just going to put it all down. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, the story that most of our listeners don't know is that, uh, Richard goes to a BYU away game every year with a group of friends. Um, his real friends, I, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, Garrett's I never been invited, I'm not invited, but uh, of course, um, he goes with some of his, some of his other friends, some of his non podcasting friends, I can only imagine. And, um, uh, he's going to West Virginia this year, like you said. Well, in a in a good demonstration of the type of person Richard is, uh, he somehow knows someone in West Virginia who he's now going to go visit while he's out there because of the uh, uh of a cruise that we were on. Now, you want to explain how it is you know someone in West Virginia, Richard? Yeah. So, um, uh one of these friends that goes on this, uh, you know, one of my true friends that, that I go with uh, yeah. to the these BYU games. With. Um, we were on a cruise together. Garrett was also on this, on this cruise. And oh, um, so, so it was true friends plus one. Yeah, that's, that's right. And so uh, there was a, there was a gentleman from, I believe he was from the Philippines on the cruise that was playing a guitar and he was playing country roads, uh, <laughs> the John Denver classic from West Virginia. And I, I heard him, and so I said, "Hey, I've got to have you." Some, so they were, everyone was having breakfast, and I said, "Hey, can I can I pay you to come and to sing Country Roads to my friends here that are uh, that you know we're going on on to this game?" And so this guy came and he sang Country Roads, you know, take me home, and it was it was awesome. And across the way, there was a guy with a West Virginia hat that was singing it at the top of his lungs on the other side of the restaurant when, when the guy was, you know, hitting the, hitting the beats on the, uh, on the chorus. And so I went over to him and chatted with him, ended up talking to him for about an hour about, you know, West Virginia, going to Morgantown and all the fun. Um, he sent a message on, and I told him I was coming out to the game and how excited we were to go out there. And it's like, Oh, you got to come out to the tailgate and have a good time. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, tailgate. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> um because yeah, i mean it's easy to invite a it's easy to invite a mormon to tailgate with yeah. you because it doesn't cost you any more alcohol it doesn't cost you any more almost anything it's pretty yeah, slick. Yeah. in fact i've never been offered more alcohol in my life than going to a texas uh tailgate well, that's the thing is that they know it's kind of like you know like when you know that you know someone's out of town but you're gonna give them an invite to your party anyway but you know they're out of town and you don't really want them there yeah and so you're like, "Hey, Bill, can you come to my party on Friday?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna be in 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 New Jersey on Friday." Oh man, I so badly want you at my party. It's like the throwaway invite, you know. And so, so you know, you can feel like you're being incredibly, you know, giving with your alcohol whenever you're at you know at BYU tailgating with you. Well, so anyway, what's funny is is that was crud. That was in yeah. Well, it was in yeah first part of August end of July. So, um. Anyway, so on the cruise Facebook pay, uh, page yeah. or whatever, he a says, Facebook hey. page created for that cruise for people going on that cruise so that they could talk to one another about the cruise. Right. So on that Facebook page, he this person said, hey, I was talking to some guy about coming to the BYU-West Virginia game. Does anyone know who that is? I'd really like to talk to him. This was last week. Yeah, and my <laughs> wife, who is for some reason still following a cruise page that we were on six months yeah. ago, which is the most Angie thing. It's it ever. really is. It really yeah, is. She, like, she's my, made my, so many friends. And my yeah. wife reads it and goes, Garrett, this has to be Richard, right? Cause he was talking <laughs> about West Virginia guy. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. And then and she, 
sure shooting it was and so then he and i direct message and we're gonna be uh we're gonna be hanging out uh with his family <laughs> at a tailgate in morgantown at the uh byu uh west virginia game this weekend so it'll be a lot of fun a grand See, time there's there's all kinds of great announcements on the show richard going <laughs> to the west virginia game i mean by the time people are listening to this byu will have already lost it right uh y- y- yeah i mean oh. you know I, I mean, mean I'm, well, I'm not. Uh, well, look, I actually think they match up pretty well. I think they've got a pretty decent shot. We, we, you know, Texas is is a, is a pretty good this year, and we're still, you know, finding our way. The <laughs> we're trying to get our footing. We're nine games into the season. We're just yeah, we're we're, we're a little uh, a little Michael W. Smith, you know, trying <laughs> to find our place in this world, um, in the Big Twelve, and uh, it has been a fun season. And there, and BYU has shown, you know. Uh, some bright things and i think we'll uh we'll be bull eligible after this week as we uh as we beat west virginia and it'll be a fun time wow a bold prediction there so yes this gift richard got me uh which wasn't a trip to the west virginia game is <laughs> is pretty awesome uh talking about the uh, george reynolds polygamy case that's the polygamy and bigamy case and you know you think well why are you mentioning polygamy and bigamy well because in fact, the federal government made both things illegal. Now, in the case of Utah, they made both things illegal, and then they only prosecuted Mormons who were practicing it. So you actually can look in the records, and there literally are people arrested for uh, bigamy or for polygamy that um, are are not prosecuted, and the the reason given is because they're not a Mormon. That that. Yeah, we we created this, but we only use it against Mormons. Um, and George Reynolds is uh, secretary to uh, the first presidency. He's the 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 secretary, and he, of course, is then very close to uh, to Brigham Young and and to the the other members of the first presidency. And he gets arrested, and and the Saints decide that they are going to use George Reynolds as a as a test case, essentially, we have all these people that are trying to arrest us for the practice of polygamy. We believe laws against polygamous marriages are are unconstitutional. So Reynolds going to get arrested for having two wives. Now he's actually going to get arrested again um, uh, because uh, uh, for for bigamy, um, and. You'll notice that one of the things that happens, like I mean, people won't notice unless they're really studying a lot of polygamy stuff, and we're not going to talk about it on this show till the 38th season, so I don't even know why I'm explaining this, but... Um, why do you think I bought you the book? Yeah, that's what I thought. This is all... Most of Richard's time spent is clever, scheming ways to figure out how to defend his dissertation and how to get me to talk about plural marriage. They really are one and the same. <laughs> anyway, George Reynolds is... Uh, um, people were also being arrested, uh, for, and, uh, for cohabiting. So you didn't have to be legally married to, to two women. If you even cohabited with one that you weren't legally married to, that also, uh, led to, uh, arrest. And so this is a review of the court's, uh, the court's findings and, Spoiler alert, the Supreme Court uh, came down on the side of of uh, the government and argued that polygamy was too much an affront to morality for it to be legalized. And, and so George Reynolds goes to jail for both of these charges, and he serves basically three years in jail for this. So... It, it it's it's a huge devastating blow to the saints because they really believed well of course it's unconstitutional to make a law that we can't practice our religion uh and that argument of course didn't didn't hold up so there's a little bit of a polygamy teaser for you by way of uh uh richard's uh very kind very must have been very expensive birthday gift to me so there's that now, what about our Phoebe Draper mailbag? Yes, our Phoebe Draper mailbag. Uh, first of all, I think the line opened at ten and a half for BYU West Virginia. Uh, I think it's moved down to ten. And as as we know, good teams win, great teams cover. I I, I think BYU covers the the ten, ten and a half. Uh, I would even be confident enough to cover the ten. 
there, there, I said it. Wow. Um, yeah. Again, don't don't gamble. Like to refer you to President Hinckley's 2005 for entertainment uh, purposes only. Greetings, almost Doctor Leduc. By the way, I've been awaiting the episode where you are introduced as Doctor Leduc. I will very likely let out a slightly loud "Let's go" once that happens. Probably much to the confusion of those who will be around me at the time. My uncle recommended me this podcast this past summer. And ever since, I've been enjoying three seasons worth of great humor and facet. Well, it's yeah. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Really, a lot of fla- there's a lot of flattery going on. Why do you think we're reading it? First of all, it's just it doesn't even say Garrett. It just says me. That's the main reason. It says Richard. And, and, but you know, what? I like the idea of an almost missionary somewhere. I mean, frankly, by the time you actually have your PhD in hand, you'll have seven kids. But. <laughs> But I, I like the idea of a of this, kids, no twins, two years in between. But I like the idea of no adoptions either. This is just, uh, uh, I like the idea of this almost missionary listening to a podcast in the middle of like a zone conference. You know, he's got, he's got an earbud in and he's, he's kind of listening. He's not supposed to. And then all of a sudden, you know, we announce it, you know, we're Dr. Garrett Dirkmod and Dr. Richard Leduc. He's like, let's go! And just shouts it. And that's that's what I want to see happen. That's what I want so bad. Um, and fascinating church history from both of you, uh, from both you and Dr. Dirkmod. If everything goes according to plan, I should be receiving my mission call soon. And I'm grateful to have listened to this podcast if and inevitably when I get asked tough questions about Joseph Smith and general church history from people I am sent to teach. Uh, if you go stateside, no question. If you go stateside south, yes. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. But For you sure. might go, I mean, like, you might go to, like, you know, I don't know, Bolivia, and people may not ask you a whole lot of church history questions there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, how many um, church history questions has, has Rigdon gotten on his mission? In Peru, zero, <laughs> zero church history questions. Well, there you go. There was there was one funny there was one funny thing where uh, they were teaching a lady and um, and uh, so they they asked her to turn to a, a a verse in John. She goes to turn to the verse in John in her Bible, and that particular verse isn't in her Bible. And she says it's not in here. It's not in the Bible. I don't know what's what's happening. And and Rigdon and his companion get the Bible and they see that it's a Jehovah Witness Bible. Ah, yes. And so, and, and they're like, oh, this is a, this is a, a Bible from the Jehovah Witnesses. And, and she's like, oh, okay. Um, and so just then, like literally the timing was hilarious. There's a knock on the door and it's the Jehovah Witnesses that were teaching this woman. <laughs> and she invites them in uh, because she thinks that they're, that they're friends with my son sure. and his yeah. companion. They're Look, anyone who's knocking at my door peddling Jesus. Come on in. We're all together. Yeah, we're all together. So what's happening is then they go to try to continue to teach the discussion. The Jehovah Witness uh, missionaries continue to interrupt and to yell at, at my son and his companion. And the, the woman says, um, hey, uh, I didn't invite you in here to yell. You need to let them share their message. Well, if we're not going to get to share our message, then we'll just leave then. Uh, this obviously is done in Spanish. Uh, I don't know Spanish well enough to be able to do this, but uh, that's my impression. So, uh, so they they just they decide to leave, and then the woman's like, you know, I don't like them. You shouldn't hang out with them as much as you do. I don't think that they're. A Why good are they members of your church? <laughs> they're not the same church. Anyway, um, so keep up the work, guys. Uh, from from Peter. Peter, obviously, send us when you receive your missionary.org email send us your uh your email and let us know where you got called on your mission and we will send you access to the uh to the premium content specifically the joseph smith and the which, restoration which stuff. we're just giving away to people well to missionaries we're giving away yeah. to missionaries to so joseph smith and the restoration which i think you will find especially helpful and profound uh as you um are gaining a greater experience uh or gaining greater Gainer grading context. Gainer. Oh my gosh! I think you want us to go back and edit that, but we're just not going no, to. No, no, because you didn't make the mistake I did. Gaining <laughs> greater context to uh, kind of some of the beliefs of our Christian brothers and sisters to gain a better understanding of where they're coming from, which will help you to uh, hopefully be a better missionary. So, 
That's exciting. You go on to ask a question. It's a very good question. It's not about Moroni, so we're going to skip it. Uh, but <laughs> thank you. We might come back to it someday. Yeah. But. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, this next email comes to us from Andrew. Happy birthday, Garrett. Well, Just you know what? Thank you. My birthday was on Halloween. Yes, yes. We're, we're recording this the day after Halloween. That's right. So everyone's in a Snickers and Kit Kat induced sugar haze. <laughs> uh by the way uh so i I taught today at the fine university of utah and in halloween tradition even though it was the day after i purchased from amazon my two favorite international candies which are wonder bars and lion bars garrett have you had either of those by the way yes i've had both in fact oh oh my gosh now are you you fan you're i I, i'm not as big a fan i mean they're fine they're fine angie loves them are you yeah, I know. Angie loves them. They're fine. I mean, they're look. I'm, I'm hungry. I'll eat it. <laughs> but I'm wow. not buying okay. it off. All of right. Them. So, so a Wonder Bar or kale. If it's there and I'm starving, I guess I'll eat it. Yeah. Uh, only yeah. if there's dressing. I mean, not for the <laughs> kale, but for the Wonder Bar. <laughs> well, we hope that we get uh, plenty of emails on favorite candy. That's always <laughs> something that drives people uh, a little crazy. Yeah. I just wanted to send you a happy birthday and thank you. While I listen to this, I'm listening. Uh, uh, while I listen to this, I'm listening to your mom, you, and Richard discuss you and Axis of <laughs> and Allies. I also played that game when I was 13, except I never learned to play it uh, since nobody wanted to play it with me. That was always the problem with that game. Yeah who 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 wants to you know who wants to play this uh, this World War II game and who has three days? Yeah, how long is it going to take? 15 hours. <laughs> So 15 hours that's just to set it up <laughs> um uh, that was the same case with risk uh i would always just move the pieces around the board and just make up strategy and stories and sometimes roll the dice for hours while gorging on snacks <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if it was wonder bars or lion bars i guarantee it wasn't <laughs> somehow maybe they're maybe he's from canada you don't know nope. somehow i'm still skinny I called it Lonely Risk. It is still one of my favorite games. Yeah, we, that is sad. That is sad. We used to play on our on our mission. We had Elder Bird, who was just this great guy from Boise, and he would get so worked up. And so our district, we get together and we we'd be playing Risk on P Day as we're listening to Janice Cat Perry or whatever <laughs> whatever CD. While they're screaming at each other for conquering the Ukraine. Well, so what would happen? It 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 wasn't on purpose, but what would happen is we'd play Risk as a district, and then um, as soon as Elder Bird was eliminated, everyone would kind of lose interest, and we just kind of stop playing. Because you were only playing to antagonize no, him. No, 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 no. It was never the intention initially, but it just kind of worked out that way. And uh, it was always, you know, he'd be eliminated, and then be like, "All right, I'm kind of done. All right, me too." All right. <laughs> Um, I wanted to thank you for your podcast and the service to God's children. I have grown so much in my knowledge of the church history, gospel doctrine, and faith. I absolutely love your podcast. It has become a staple of my life over the last two years. Nope. Or the last two or three weeks. Sorry. Last yeah, two, boy, two weeks, years. Relatively that, boy, recent. Yeah. I, I wish that would push him back into when he was a, a young yeah. teenager listening. But that's <laughs> unless you're in the back of our squad car, that's not happening. As you guess by the fact, I am starting to listen to your podcast three weeks ago. And no, I cannot give an exact date on that. Is this is a reminiscent document? That's that very is funny. Hilarious. Now hold that on. is hold on. Andrew. That is the kind of humor that I appreciate. <laughs> that it's a reminiscent document. Oh man! Now, very well played. Well Andrew. played, Andrew. And now I'm forty or so episodes in. Preparing for my mission has been challenging for me. I've always felt the need to know. It feels instead. God has been trying to teach me instead to have faith. Your way of thinking in relationship with your testimony has helped me immensely in correlation with heavy reading, listening to the Book of Mormon. I can't uh, focus very well on Book of Mormon while sitting. I highly appreciate you and Richard for your work. And yes, the podcast does put me to sleep. Well, well, well I can't well, all be positive. No. Well, if, you have, if you're... You know, if you're an insomniac, it's positive, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm not about to use it to put uh, me to sleep since I have to be up early tomorrow to drive from Utah or drive to Utah from Ogden. Happy Halloween and happy Oregon. birthday. Or from Oregon. That's a long drive. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of a haul. Gratefully, Andrew could not have been read more poorly by me. Yeah, well, um, what happens when Becky hears this? 
She just said Heroes Part 2 was her favorite episode of the season because I don't speak in it very much. Interesting. That's, that's how you know. I, you know, I love how supportive she is. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your email, and thank you for being willing to serve a mission. And, you know, as it relates to the question of, um, you know, I've always felt the need to know. Um, it feels instead God's been trying to teach me instead to have faith. You know, I think that... Th- that we have both sides of this, right? That, that you, you learn by study and also by faith. And a lot of times when you're getting ready to go on a mission, a lot of it really is, there is a lot of study part because, you know, I've heard, uh, that not every single missionary that goes on their mission has read the book of Mormon yet. Have you heard that Richard? I hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask you to indict yourself. Well, no, no, no. It's one of those. It's one of those things, right? Where um, I went on my mission, and I had not read the Book of Mormon before I went on the mission. I went. I went on the mission because you're supposed to go on a mission. And uh, when I was a young man, when you go on a mission, when you go on a mission, when you go on a mission, this was the the refrain in family night and by my parents and um, the majority of my friends were not LDS. Uh, growing up in Western Idaho, it's very different from Eastern Idaho, which which is near Oregon, by the way. It so, is very yeah. near Oregon, yeah. actually. Uh, we would we would purchase large items in Oregon, like television. there was no sales, there was no sales tax, <laughs> and then we would not report them when we well, got. We're supposed to report those. Yeah, no, sure. <laughs> Much like in the condemned to repeat it. Good luck. Um, <laughs> good luck getting those taxes. Anyway, but yeah, so I, I I went on my mission because I was supposed to go on a mission. And honestly, if that's the only reason that you go, that's that's great. It's still a lot better than not going. You bet. And then when I was on my mission, I was like, holy crud, what in the world? What in the world uh, is all of this? And I, my understanding of the gospel, my understanding of the doctrine, my understanding of anything was so small. It was the opposite of where Garrett was when he went on his mission. It couldn't have been further, further away. And so for me, that was uh it was a powerful, powerful experience as I read the Book of Mormon the first time on my mission, um, and gained a testimony of it there. Right. And so when you're kind of when you when you're getting into that missionary mode, you know, and you're trying to, you know, study stuff, the reality is many of us in our teenage years don't spend a ton of time studying. Um, we, we, well, look, that's not true. We do study things like what are the cheat codes to Contra? Uh, we study things like how do I beat bald bull on punch out? Uh, we study, we study, we study some things. Um, but you know, to really intensively study, really when we go on a mission is one of the first times we really get into it. And, and so I think there's, you know, a little bit of what you're feeling, Andrew, is that, that you're like, you, you know, that there there's this kind of so much there is to know, but I love the fact you, you say you feel that, you know, you're also supposed to go by faith. I mean, hopefully one of the things that people take away from this podcast is that while we can provide answers for some things and while we're, there's a lot of things where, you know, it was once our catchphrase on the podcast that is it, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? No. I mean, um, we can only talk about, things to a certain point where it has to be faith, right? So we can have a discussion about just how deep we think that the gold plates were buried by Moroni in the hill. And then how much of that earth was worn away over the course of time and how many to get to where it was when Joseph found it. We can have a discussion about it. We can debate it. We can say, well, I think it was four feet. Well, it's clearly five feet. Have you not read the latest in, you know, dirt moving on top of the mountain weekly? Whatever it is, right? It's a great, I, yeah, it's a monthly. You subscribe. I know. Well, it's a monthly. Yeah, weekly well, would be ridiculous. Yeah, the weekly, you got to really want it if you want the weekly. <laughs> but the, the reality is that when you're talking about religion, at some point, you will get to a place where there are no answers, where there aren't any. And, and so, you know, we, we sometimes get hung up on, on little trivial things like, well, how exactly did this work out? Or how exactly did this work out? 
But fundamentally, as I've said before, and as you know, because you've been reading the, you know, listening, reading the podcast, you've been listening to it. You know what? Maybe you've been reading it since listening to it's been putting you to sleep. And um, you know that things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ are things that are taken on faith. We certainly have witnesses that Jesus is risen. Joseph is one of those great witnesses. Part of the reason why we love Joseph Smith so much. Moroni, who we're about to talk about here, is one of these witnesses of Jesus. At the same time, that that isn't something that you can logically prove to somebody. The most important parts of the gospel are things that you can understand and things that you can study, but they're things that you have to believe by faith. Like the old adage of the, of the kid, right? You know, what do they say? Five or six questions of why you get to the point where you can't answer it, right? Dad, why is, you know, why are clouds in the sky? Well, you know, and how you can only go so far back before it's like, well, because that's just the way it is or because God made it that way, right? Um, the reality is when it comes to religion, you will eventually get to a place where you can't logically explain how it is things happen. I can't logically explain how the resurrection took place. We don't believe it because we can prove it. We believe it because it's true. And how do we know that it's true? Because the Holy Spirit of God speaks it to us. So I hope, Andrew, as you're studying for your mission, you can you can continue to to allow that faith aspect to kind of don't don't be afraid of the fact that there's some things you have to take by faith. Taking something by faith is the most fundamental aspect of Christianity. The most important part. The atonement of Jesus Christ is something that you have to take by faith. The Holy Spirit can let you know that Jesus is the Savior. Right? Historians can say, well, Jesus lived. There was a man named Jesus, apparently. But historians can't prove that he was raised from the dead. They can only say his followers said that he was. Historians can't prove that he died for our sins. That's why ultimately, fundamentally, we have to start at a place of faith. Uh, there will always be questions we can't answer. And, and, and believe me, there are people who answer questions even worse than I do. Um, and there are always questions we, 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 we can't answer. But the testimony of the Holy Spirit is something that goes beyond whether or not I have a reminiscent source. The testimony of the Holy Spirit is vibrant and living and powerful. And when you felt the Spirit speak to your spirit, the answer is unequivocal. Um, but, you know, I, I love the email because it kind of leads into where, you know, we've been talking about with Moroni. I know it took a little bit for us to get in there, but I wanted to read those missionaries' uh, emails. We left talking out about, talking about what Moroni had said to Joseph. In Joseph Smith's history, um, he he tells that after Moroni told them that there's a book deposited, that there's these stones, he says he commenced quoting prophecies of the Old Testament. What did he start with? Okay. He first quoted part of the third chapter of Malachi. Now, I would love to know what part he quoted. He first quoted part of the third chapter of Malachi. When you go to the third chapter of Malachi, it's not very long, so you can go read it right now. Um, perhaps it's verses one and two. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So you certainly have this kind of messianic thing. I think most people know Malachi chapter 3 because it's talking about tithing. I, I doubt um, uh, that. <laughs> Wouldn't that you know, be great? Though? That was Moroni's first, it was his first discussion. Uh, the first thing he wants to teach Joseph Smith is, Joseph? You need to start paying 10%. What? <laughs> to, to the false churches? Like, you got to start somewhere. 
Like we don't have anywhere. Once you start a church, it's going to be very important. Um, But maybe verse seven, even from the days of your, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now that sounds like something that he might be quoting, right? That the ordinances are gone away. One thing that makes Latter-day Saints very, well, in a way, unique among Christians, other Christians do talk about ordinances. So I don't want to say that they they don't. But I think every Latter-day Saint notices very quickly that ordinances aren't just things we do in Latter-day Saint theology. Ordinances are essential, right? They are essential. They're not just things we do or things we do because God told us to do. Um, maybe um, uh, there uh, are, are other things that are quoted to him from Malachi chapter 3. Frankly, we're left with Joseph Smith history with a little bit of ambiguity. We don't know. But then he goes on. He quoted also the fourth or last chapter of the same prophecy, though with a little variation from the way it reads in our Bibles. Instead of quoting the first verse as it reads in our books, he quoted it thusly. So let's, how, how does the first chapter of Malachi read in the Bible? For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So that's how chapter one of, uh, sorry, Verse 1 of chapter 4 of Malachi reads um, in the King James Bible, which is what Joseph would have been using. Instead, he says it reads this way, or this is how the angel quoted it to him. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall burn as stubble. For they that come shall burn them, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them with neither root nor branch. And you notice there's a, a pretty a, a pretty big difference there. Because it said, the day that cometh shall burn them up. No, this says, for they that shall, they that come shall burn them. So talking about a different way that this burning is going to happen. Again, he quoted the fifth verse thus. Now, again, let's go back to the fifth verse of Malachi, which is, you know, very well known to all Latter-day Saints. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Instead, what he said was, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now think about what eventually does happen in, in 1836 in Kirtland. Elijah, along with Elias and Moses, appear and give keys. I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah. Now that priesthood of Elijah, that, uh, that, those keys given by Elijah, I think we've come to see in the church as being not just part of, of the keys that are given, but you could argue the, the most important part, uh, the ability to seal families together, marriages together, to bind on, on earth what will then be bound in heaven. So that's a pretty big difference that Joseph notices. I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet. Not, I'll send you Elijah. True enough, Elijah does come. But why does Elijah come? And it's Moroni that's educating Joseph from the very beginning. Elijah is going to come, and he's going to give you authority. Now, think about this for a minute. This is 1823. Sure, Joseph's going to have lots of angels come and give him keys eventually in 1829. The fact that angels will be the means whereby authority will be restored 
is actually first declared by Moroni teaching Joseph in that room. So maybe when John the Baptist appears to them, when Peter, James, and John appears to him and Oliver, maybe it's not as surprising that that's the method whereby this authority is brought back. Maybe, in fact, Joseph is remembering this, what Moroni said, when he and Oliver say, hey, we got to get baptized, but we don't have any authority. Well, you know what? God said he's going to send, he's going to send priesthood. Now, maybe he thought Elijah would come. I, mean, I don't know what he thought would happen, but what we do have is this evidence that Joseph was taught by Moroni that, in fact, some type of angelic being, some type of prophet, would would come and give them authority. Verse 39, he also quoted the next verse differently. So, and, and we already said that, and he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the father. Notice the difference, right? He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children of the fathers, what it reads in the King James. What Moroni said was, and he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers. And the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. So notice that subtle difference that God is going to plant in the hearts of the children these same promises that were made to the fathers. And that's what caused them to turn, turn back to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth, now what you have in Malachi is, uh, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse, which already sounds pretty bad. Moroni's telling of it is, if it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Now that sounds a little bit more extreme. Smiting the earth with a curse, okay, I mean, certainly a curse. Utterly wasted. This just it demonstrates how from the very beginning, from, from 17-year-old Joseph Smith, the sealing power, even though Joseph doesn't even know what that is as 17-year-old Joseph Smith, it isn't just something that Latter-day Saints do. Temples aren't just what we do to demonstrate, hey, look, we have a lot of members now in this place. They are the point of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, exists not to keep us all from going to hell. I mean, Joseph, at this time, very much believes in hell and very much believes he could still possibly go there. But what we learn is that the atonement of Jesus Christ is going to, to, to take everyone, outside of a few exceptions, out of an awful hell. And, and in the resurrection, people will receive glory. So the point of the restore, restored gospel is exaltation. My work and my glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The point of all of this isn't to end up in the celestial kingdom. You're going there regardless, right? The point of this is to become like God. And the whole purpose of the earth being made is so that we can progress to become like God. You can see now how it is that Moroni might say, if we didn't have the sealing power, the whole earth would be utterly wasted. Maybe in the sense of the point of creating the earth was to have you become like your Heavenly Father. If you don't have the sealing power, then you can't. And so therefore, the earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Now he's going to quote, this is verse 40. In addition to these, he quoted the 11th chapter of Isaiah, uh, saying that it was about to be fulfilled. Well, the 11th chapter of Isaiah, I'm not going to read all of it, but this is the chapter that talks about um, a rod coming out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit uh, of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Um, so I think that, that this is, you know, this messianic prophecy that he's talking about. 
And the cool part about uh, about this is that Moroni is going to start providing a little bit of interpretation of Joseph. He's not just going to quote scriptures to him. He quoted also the third chapter of Acts, 22nd and 23rd verses. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, uh, unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So Moroni quotes Acts chapter 3, 22nd and 23rd verse, and then provides commentary. He said that the prophet was Christ. Okay, very good. We, we know that. But then provides this further interpretation. But the day had not yet come when they who would not hear his voice should be cut off from among the people, but would soon come. Okay, so where it says, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Moroni is explaining that that was a delayed thing, that that Jesus is, in fact, this prophet that's spoken of, but this cutting off hasn't occurred yet. So that's interesting. Now, you can only imagine what a 17-year-old Joseph thinking as he hears this. Um, he also quoted the second chapter of Joel. Now, the other thing you have to think is, while Joseph, you know, I'm sure has read the Bible, I, I anything's possible with miracles and, and inspiration for sure. But you have to almost wonder, it, my guess is Joseph doesn't know these verses by heart when the angel's quoting them to him. That he has to go grab his Bible afterwards, or in the days afterwards, and track down these familiar sounding things, but figure out where they are. At the very least, before you write Joseph Smith history, you got to know where they're coming from. So verse 41, he quoted the, the second chapter of Joel from the 28th verse to the last. So this isn't the entire thing. This is a, a small part, but this is the part of Joel that talks about the last days. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this is a, a, a quote of, well likened to the second coming by, by other Christians of the time. But again, the angel provides, Moroni provides commentary. He said that this was not yet fulfilled, but was soon to be. He further stated that the fullness of the Gentiles was soon to come in. And then he quoted many other passages of Scripture and offered many explanations which cannot be mentioned here. Well, shoot. I mean, like uh, of the times that you're like, you know what? Let's not try to save space. Let's. What is he quoting? Let's hear it. Let's find out. But Moroni, after this uh, teaching him, is going to provide some some other things. Again, he told me that when I got those plates of which he had spoken, I should not show them to any person, neither the breastplate with the Urman Thummim, only to those to whom I'd been commanded to show them. If I did, I should be destroyed. And the, the cool part is, while while Moroni is again talking to him about the plates after this you know, lengthy Bible quoting session. While he was conversing with me about the plates, the vision was open to my mind and I could see the place where the plates were deposited and that so clearly and distinctly that I knew the place again when I'd visited it. Now, I don't know if Joseph had ever, you know, in his rambling around the Palmyra neighborhood, had ever climbed up the Hill Cumorah, which was very, very 
close to his house and, and one of the tall hills there. Maybe he had. But in any case, he knows where these plates are buried because the angel shows him in vision so clearly that when he goes there the next day, he knows exactly where it is. I mean, you have a, a visitation of an angel and a vision, a vision inside of that visitation going on here. Now, we don't know how long. I mean, we had an original question about, you know, how long do you think these things took? I don't really know, in part because we don't know how many other things that the angel quoted before he left. Joseph says, after this communication, I saw the light in the room begin to gather immediately around the person of him who had been speaking to me, and it continued to do so until the room was again left dark, except just around him, when instantly I saw, as it were, a conduit open right up into heaven, and he ascended till he entirely disappeared. And the room was left as it had been before this heavenly light had made its appearance. So this would have been a miraculous thing if this was all there was. But one of the incredible parts of Moroni coming, Moroni comes, gives all this information, is that Joseph explains that while he's sitting there, the same messenger is there again. Comes and stands again. In an instant, he says, he commenced and again related the very same things which he'd done at first without the least variation. So he tells him everything that he's already told him. So everything we just covered, he does all of that again. And then when he finishes that, he adds something new on this second version. He informed me of great judgments that were coming upon the earth with great desolations by fire and sword and pestilence. And that these grievous judgments would come on the earth in this generation. Having related these things, he again ascended as he'd done before. So, so he comes, tells them all about the plates, where the stones are, quotes these many different scriptures to him, and then adds at the very end that the judgments of God are, are coming soon. This is actually going to be a unique aspect of Latter-day Saint theology that sometimes doesn't seem very unique to us today. Many, uh, uh, at least American Latter-day Saints, are actually surprised to find out that most other Christians in Joseph Smith's time did not expect a, a, an imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and glory. And yet, uh, this is what Joseph is being taught from the very beginning. Uh, in, in a much earlier podcast, we talked about the difference between premillennialism and postmillennialism. No doubt Andrew has already gone over those if he's 40 in. But um, <laughs> this is a unique theology, and it's a unique aspect of what Latter-day Saints believe. Most Christians in Joseph Smith's time do not believe the second coming is going to happen in, in power and glory, and it's certainly not going to happen soon. And so. This is going to be a, a, a kind of a precursor to the many revelations Joseph is going to receive saying, hey, the Lord is coming, and when the Lord comes, it's going to be the great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. So he tells him this, and then he's going to ascend again. Now, I can only imagine, I mean, not having ever, uh, you know, had an angel appear to me, um, as he writes, you know, by this time, so deep were the impressions made in my mind that sleep had fled from my eyes, and I lay overwhelmed in astonishment at what I had both seen and heard. And once again, here is the angel again. The angel repeats everything, all of these things, and now with the new added explanation of, hey, the Lord's coming soon, and then adds one thing that he hadn't said the other times. He added a caution to me, telling me that Satan would try to tempt me in consequence of the indigent circumstances of my father's family to get the plates for the purposes of, of getting rich. This he forbade me, saying that I must have no other object in view in getting the plates but to glorify God, and I must not be influenced by any other motive than that of the building up of his kingdom. Otherwise, I could not get them. Now, you might have wondered why I spent so much time in the first episode 
trying to set the scene of Joseph Smith's poverty-stricken wife. The reason why is Moroni, coming with this message from God, is going to come back to specifically warn Joseph Smith that Satan was going to try to tempt him to to get the plates to get rich. The fact that Joseph's even telling us this is, you know, pretty impressive on Joseph's part, right? Wouldn't it be a lot easier for Joseph to say like, yeah, and so I like went and did exactly what the angel said and I got the plates because, you know, I'm good, right? (laughs) But that's not what you get. Um, We all know that this isn't the only time Moroni appears, right? The, The next morning, Joseph goes out to work and he's just, He's so exhausted, having not slept at all, which is stunning because I have teenage children who at times, you know, have tried to beat the entire Mario Wonder game in one night. And you know it the next day, you know, if they didn't go to sleep at all, you're well aware about it. Um, I I hate to compare playing a Nintendo Switch game to scything wheat, but... uh, (laughs) Apparently, you know, I, you know, this is what you have to do in modern times. Joseph goes out, and it's Alvin who notices. Uh, we we read uh, some of Lucy Max Smith's account that that Joseph isn't right; that he's not working hard like Joseph usually does. And as he goes to make his way back to the house, he collapses. He's so exhausted he can't even walk. Right, and there the angel Moroni appears to him again. So now the angel Moroni has appeared to him four times in likely, I mean, I mean, what were we saying before? You know, seven, eight o'clock at night, right? And they're out working early in the morning, right? So they're out there by 6 a.m. At this point, Moroni's appeared probably four times in 12 hours. You know, maybe 15 hours, I don't know. But regardless, Moroni has appeared multiple times in this very short window. And and when Moroni appears this fourth time, what what does he what does he find? That um, the angel says to him, "Why didn't you tell your dad about the vision that you had? You were supposed to go tell your dad." Uh, Lucy spends more time on this, but at any rate, um, Joseph is going to go um, and, and and follow the messenger, and he's going to go tell his father, Dad. You know, I had. This angel appeared to me four times in the last last night and this morning, and he told me this is what I'm supposed to do. And Father Smith, you know, the, the reason why we love Father Smith, he replied to me that it was of God, and he told me to go and do as the as the as commanded by the messenger. And so Joseph's going to begin this walk to where he knows the plates are because they were shown to him in vision. Now he has had stressed on his mind just how sacred these records are, just how important these records are, just how much he needs to focus his life on on bringing these records to light, to the point where the angel came back, apparently a third time, with a special visit, just to say, listen, Joseph, you're going to be tempted to try to get rich off of these plates. You're going to be tempted. You cannot do it. Well, as Joseph begins that walk to where those plates are, apparently the adversary is working on him hard. You can only imagine, right? The coming forth of the gold plates and the the printing of the Book of Mormon is going to shatter the silence of the heavens and bring about this the last dispensation of the fullness of times. So yes, Satan is working on him. And as he's walking, you, you can almost hear his thoughts. Wow, oh, this is gold. And it must really be there because, because an angel said that it was there. And it, if it really is gold, even just like one leaf of this, gold. And my family will go from being poor people who are are treated like garbage in town to being the richest people in Palmyra. 
My, think of it. My, my mom won't have to stress about finances anymore. My, my poor dad who's had to move and move and move and had all these reverses in his life. He'll be set up for life. If I could just get that gold, we're, we will be set for life. Oliver Cowdery, who what, didn't know Joseph at this time, right? He comes in a lot later, but maybe Joseph is the one who related this story to him. Oliver Cowdery will write a letter to the church newspaper explaining this experience that Joseph has as he's walking. And he'll say that there were two invisible powers that were operating on his mind during his walk from his residence to Camorra. The one urging the certainty of wealth and the ease in this life had so powerfully wrought upon him that the great object so carefully and impressively named by the angel had entirely gone from his recollection and that only a fixed determination to obtain now urged him forward. Now, Oliver Cowdery is certainly speaking for Joseph here. So I don't want to say this is exactly what Joseph was thinking, although he likely got this from uh, uh, from Joseph. Um, but he at least is, Oliver Cowdery is at least alleging that by the time he gets to where the plates are, the only thing that has come to dominate his mind is how much these plates are worth. He, 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 he's thought about it and thought about it. And, and look, there's all kinds of excuses you can make for Joseph. That's part of the reason why I spent so much time talking about just how poverty stricken he is. From the time he was cognizant, he has been working far more than a kid of his age would with a desperation far greater than a kid of his age should have to have because he knew his family was poor. He knew his family couldn't afford the basic necessities. He knew that their luck had been terrible. And all of a sudden, there's a a stack of gold in a hill behind his house. I don't know if he intended to try to sell all of it, or he was just going to get a little piece of it, or maybe even just sell the idea of it. What we do know is that when Joseph gets to the spot, well, he finds it pretty quickly. Not only does he find it quickly because the angel showed him where it is, he finds it quickly because he's excited to get the gold. And as he goes, digs it up, you know, uh, begins to try to reach into the box. I mean, imagine his, his mind at this point because he's thinking about the gold. Imagine what he thinks as he pops that, that case open, as he pops the rock off to the top. And he looks down and he sees the gold. Clearly, the thing that is now on his mind is we are rich. This is the end of the Smith family problems. Now, I would love to say that were I in similar circumstances, I would act differently. I mean, an angel had just appeared to him four times. Joseph Smith had seen God and Jesus three years earlier than that. And yet, the trials that he was having in his life and his family were such that even with the power of angelic ministrations, he couldn't keep that thought about the gold from his mind. That's how powerful the draw of this world is. It actually reminds me very much of first Nephi when, you know, Laman and Lemuel, you know, as they are wont to do beating Nephi, you know, generally, generally it's a beating a Nephi session, right? Um, uh, he, he probably wished he could play a lone risk or whatever that was called. <laughs> um, uh, and, they're beating him and the angel appears to them and tells them to stop beating him and then says, go back to Jerusalem and and the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. And so an angel has just appeared. And as soon as that angel leaves, what do Laban and Lemuel say? How is it possible that the Lord can deliver Laban into our hands. For behold, he is a mighty man, and he can command 50. Yea, he can slay 50. And why not us? 
right? The, the, the cares of the world, the realities of the world are so much upon Laman and Lemuel that when they have an angel speak to them and say, go back, the moment that angel's gone, all they can think about is, well, this doesn't make any sense. There's no way. He, he has 50 men that can kill us. There's no way. How is it possible? Now, of course, then Nephi gives his amazing speech to them where he says, you know, he is mightier than all the earth. Why not mightier than Laban and his 50 or even his tens of thousands? You got to love Nephi, right? Um, at the same time, Laban and Lemuel, they aren't convinced by that. They grumble the whole way there. And Joseph certainly isn't Laman and Lemuel. He isn't trying to kill his father. But here, the young Joseph, who is desperately concerned about his sins, desperately wants to be what God wants him to be, we see him falter with the overwhelming pressure placed upon him by society, by his lack of wealth, by his poverty. Even in the face of angelic ministrants, we see Joseph falter. And that's what we'll start off talking about on our concluding episode of Moroni next week. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.